Thank you all. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for very much to the youngsters who are leading, taking the lead in worship now. So we really want to thank God for the new lineup that we have. And um, thanks for thank God for everything that we have. And uh, thank also God for what we do not have yet, because we are not going to have what we do not have. Praise be to God. Christian life is supposed to be a joyful life. I have said this many times from the word of God. It's a joyful life. Though there may be situations in our life where which drains or drives up our joy, still we are supposed to keep the joyfulness in the Lord. In chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 4, and this is one of the verses that I learned by heart when I was young, and which I can say, though I have forgotten most of the memory verses, I can say this with confidence. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So Paul repeatedly says, rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, when I was in college, in high school, we also had a chorus that went, uh, was in the same line, rejoice in the Lord always. The same verse was repeated. Now, there's a reason why Paul says or exhorts the Philippians, be joyful. You know, the city of Philippi was a place of lot and lot of entertainments. There were dance places, clubs, trade union clubs and things like that. And people in the city are having a jolly good time, rejoicing, you know, uh, on, from all these engagements, music and dance and the temples were full of cultural events and all that. So Paul is reminding the, Philippi, the church in Philippi is that he's writing this from the uh, uh, prison in Rome. He says, you should not be different from others. Uh, why you should not be joyful. You should also be joyful. But the way, the way you rejoice should be different. But just because you have given your heart to God, you don't have to be very sorrowful, a downcast face and walk stooping and looking at the street, road and things like that. Now lift up your eyes and rejoice that your face gleam. But for different reasons, that's different, definitely. So, Joyless, joyful Christian life. Now, why I said this is so when now we have a lot of letters uh, from which are written in Greek, not the Christian letters, but other letters. In all this, they the writers tell, be joyful, no, be cheerful. Now, that is a common thing in, in most of the letters that we have found now. But Christian life can be joyless many times. We all go through those sort of situations. Though we are joyful on Sunday, we clap and dance and sing joy. And then when we go back, when we face realities of life, the joy just drains, you know, like uh, uh, something that drains to the strain. But there are two things. But here, Paul, uh, the Bible says, talks about only one thing. One thing that drains our joy from us is anxiety. Anxiety, what is anxiety? Anxiety is the fear of the future. What will happen tomorrow? What will happen tomorrow, uh, to, uh, tonight? 
What will happen after the next moment? So it's a fear of the future. Why do we are, why are we anxious? Because you know, we are Christ followers, but we forget the order or the command of our commander, our leader. You know, the uh, good, Lord, uh, good Lord Jesus has promised or told us in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What is he talking about? What to wear, what to eat, where to sleep, all that takes care is taken care of. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So, don't worry about tomorrow. So, you deal with the day today. The deal with the day, live in the present. No, every day has its own problems. So what is the so you deal with the problem of the day and worry about tomorrow you postpone. Don't worry about it at all. That's what Jesus said. So many times anxiety comes because we forget our own the Lord's own promises in our life that you deal with the day today, the task of the day, challenge of the day, present day, this moment, then leave. What about you have to do tomorrow? Worry about tomorrow to the future, to God. Now, in order to bring joy back to our life, we need to deal with anxiety. So, I would imagine a joyful life or steps to joyful life. Uh, compare it with a mansion, a house. First, we... There's a, there are two commands that we need to do. First, if you imagine our life, your life and my life, as <coughs> a house, a mansion, there are two commands. The first command is to clean up the house. First, we clean up the house. What is that? See, both are imperatives. I'll deal with the first imperative now. First, clean up your life. So here is that first command in verse 6, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There are, you can see two commands there. See, one important thing about, thing about anxiety is God hasn't promised that he will take care of our anxiety. I haven't seen anywhere. I haven't seen anywhere that God has said, I will deal with your fear. But what, what God has done? What God has done as to not to be anxious, and He has promised His help not to be anxious. So, first thing, it is our duty. So I also thought that do not fear. You know, we go through all the instances of do not fear. You know, it's not a promise. Do not fear is a promise. Okay. Do not be anxious is a promise. Sorry, it's a command. But it has always have a promise. So in Matthew chapter 6, he said, do not be anxious about anything. That is a command. We should not be anxious. But he gives a reason why we should not be anxious. What is that? Huh? Your family father knows. That's a reason. That's a motivation. But we have to do what we have to do. And all the instances of fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. 
there is that command we have we have to be we have should not fear but there is a promise always there is a promise this is not just one sentence there is always a it's a conditional sentence in grammar fear not because i am with you fear not i will keep you fear not i will go with you fear not i will give you strength see fear not that comes it's a command first thing is that it's a command then we have to remember that that is not that's a dependent clause see that grammar in grammar that depends on another thing fear not because i will be with you i will go ahead of you i will give you strength so what first thing is that we have to have we have to stand on the promises of god and do what we should do that is do not be anxious because your father knows heavenly father knows everything so don't be anxious but god cannot just wipe out our anxious we have first we need to trust on the promises stand on the promises act on god's promises act on god's char- uh, character his grace and then we have to do what we have to clean up our house of all anxieties first thing for life is a house a mansion a house a building clean it up acting on the promises of god and the second command is there are two sides one is our part then is the second part is god's part and in our part the christian duty there are two things clean up our house of all fear anxiety but not by a psychological trick no 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 i'm not saying that but trusting on the promises of god his assurances his grace trusting in that clean up of all the anxieties then second thing is fill your house with something fill up first is clean up and second is fill it up and in the same verse i'm going to read it one more time verse 6 philippians chapter 4 6 do not be anxious about anything first command but in everything the contrast by everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god here we have two things that we need to fill up our lives with so that there is no room for anything else fill it up tightly pack it up tightly so that there is no room for anything negative there what are the two things that we need to fill up prayers and thanksgiving when um, manjula was uh, sharing from the psalms i also found a lot of things that resonate with what i am going to say so there was a unity of spirit so you may find some repetition as well what are prayers fill your life with prayers a prayerful life prayer looks forward to things that we anticipate now yesterday last week i was talking about prayers and intercession and thanksgiving i hope you remember the sermon so prayer is a an act trusting in god we look forward see how who prays for things that already happened nobody isn't it we only pray for things that are going to happen things that we want in future is an action that has to do with uh, future see prayer a prayerful life is interesting all our reasons for anxiety to god when we pray for ourselves what are we doing we are actually 
and trusting all the reasons, all that may cause anxiety to God. It's a very simple thing, or it's part of a very simple faith. See, before you, before we start cooking, also before before we uh, measure out the atta even, you know, before we put the pressure cooker on the stove, we should offer a prayer. Everything. Why? Because that is a trust in God, even in things that are. ordinary unless we can see the hand of god unless we need god in the ordinary things mundane things of our life we can never trust him for the extraordinary things now putting a step trust god so that is prayer when our lives are filled with not only that 15 minutes of morning prayers many of us may not don't may not even have that See, or a quick prayer before putting the key in the car to rush to the job or in the scooter. No, prayer becomes every anxiety, everything that we need to do, we give all God in God's hands. Our problems. See, let me tell you, this is using some business language. Never have a monopoly on your problems. You know what I mean by monopoly? I own everything. Now I own the cafe there. I own that business. You can do that. You can have a complete sole proprietor of the business that you own. But when it comes to personal problems, don't monopolize. Don't think that you are the owner of all your problems. Even if you are the manufacturer of your of your problems, there are situations that when we create our own troubles. Yeah. Even in such situations, don't think that you own all your problems. If you love God and if you believe that God loves you, He has a part in our problems. All that causes anxiety. So do not offer God partnership in our problems. That's what I'm trying to say. Let Him own it up also. So you say, Lord, I am in a mess now. Would you please help me? That's a prayer. I ran into a trouble now. Will you help me? Now we have seen our children doing that. When I have Been raising two children, and now I am. Whenever occasionally take care of my little grandchildren, I have seen this. You know, we teach them to lace their shoes, tie the shoelaces, and they make note which nobody can open it. And what do they do? They messed it up. They made a note that they cannot open, loosen. What do they do? They bring that lace to us. Isn't it? Man, simple thing. They bring that knotted lace to us, and we need because they cannot do it. That is their problem, but they are so simple in their faith and trust, and in their mind. And they say, "Dad, Grandpa, Grandpa, please, this is your problem now. Help me out of this." We need such a childlike faith. Otherwise, we will drown. in the weight of our fears and anxiety to a deep down to the bottom of the ocean never to be lifted up and live in perpetual joylessness if god is not in our life if god is not in our problems that's the first thing fill it up with prayer every moment every step every act of our life the second thing fill it up 
with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving looks forward, backward. Thanksgiving looks backward and thank God for all that he has done. That propels us to the future. That retrospection, the stepping back is what helps us to get the energy to go forward. You look back, how old you are, even if you are 10 years or 12 years or 40 or 60 or 70, look back to your life, take time to travel down the memory lane, take a trip down the memory lane and take moment, some moments out of your life and sit back and say, when did God act for you? If you have no moments where God acted for you, I'm sorry, we cannot do nothing. But I'm pretty sure there are moments in life where God acted for you. The big things and small things. The other day, and this is my daily practice, my spiritual, one of my deep spiritual practices that helps me in my growth with Christ, the journey with Christ is to take time out of my work, take time and then sit and think about moments of life where God has acted for me. Sometimes it's a big, big thing. Like you know, when I was about five years old or six years old, between that, I drowned, I was almost dead. If my mom did not see me floating back again, I would have lost my life. I was something like six years old. But I don't have, I only remember, still I have a fresh memory of falling into the lake and also waking up on the, uh, after they have drained water out of my lungs and all that, waking up and seeing a big crowd around me. That's all that I know. But I still cherish that memory. You know why? Even at this age, I reminiscence. Because if God did not direct my mom to look at that particular direction when a body was coming up out of the surface, going down and coming up, floating up and down, I would not be here. That's simple. You know, then you, then when you come to that moment, when you, when you take a trip down the memory lane, then Thanksgiving breaks out automatically. Nobody has to motivate you. That's a big thing, right? Just to do with life. I can also, I'm just giving personal examples. I can also think of a day when I needed five rupee note, just five rupees. Because I checked my pocket, I had no money. Five rupees was a big amount those days. Then desperately, as a simple believer, I prayed and I checked my textbook and there was five rupee note right there. Who put it there? I put it sometime back, carelessly. But finding at that moment is God's work. It didn't drop from heaven. It was there. Probably carelessly, I might have put that money in the, my notebook. Even as a student, maybe Arpita's age or Aaron's age. But when I think, you have to take time to think about such things. There might be silly things. There might be big things like when God saved our life. When we take time to thank God, when the near-death experiences or simple things, or just getting a gift and that perfectly a gift that matched your preferences 
And all the things, if you can find God, his finger in the ordinary things, we have faith, we love faith that to overcome greater things. So clean up. Trusting on God's promises. Fill it up. Fill our lives with praises and thanksgiving and prayers. Then next step, an intermediate step, lock it up. So that anxiety doesn't re-end up. Lock it up. Then after locking it up, hand over the key to God. So if we have to do that, cleaning up and filling up, cleaning up our life of all the fears and anxiety, trusting in God's promises and His grace and strength is our responsibility. Filling it up, don't leave it empty. Always prayer and thanksgiving in gratitude to God is again part of our job. It has to be filled up. And then we lock it up and hand the key to God. Now God's part of a joyful life. What does God do? We need to do our part to be a joyful Christian. A joyful follower of Christ. We need to do our part. That's what I have told right now. But God also has a part. God doesn't say you do everything and I will come. I'll see you on next Sunday. No, God has a part. God actually two parts. One, he will be a God. He will stand God. Once we clean it up, fill it with praise and thanksgiving, lock it up, give the key to him, he will stand God to our house. This is a military language which you see in the next verse, 4-7, Philippians 4-7. And if you do that, don't be anxious about anything. But in prayers and petitions and thanksgiving, let your needs be known to God. When we do that, verse 7 says, Then, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That God will stand as a God at the door of our house. And it says, the peace of God will God. What is this peace of God? Just a moment about the peace of God. The peace of God will act as a watchman, as a God, as a security person, right in front of your the door of your house. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, we read an uh, incident. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 19, just to explain what this peace of God is. On the evening of that day, that is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, the first day of the week, on a Sunday afternoon, evening, the doors being locked because of the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side, his hands which are nail pierced and his side which is also pierced. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he, what he said, we'll look at that rest of the passage later. It's a Jewish custom. 
to greet each other with the word shalom, which means peace. When you see somebody, the Jews will say shalom. And uh, the Muslim brothers have borrowed that language. That is why they say assalamu alaikum or something like that. Peace be with you. They have borrowed it. And in some Hindu customs, they say shandi, shandi, shandi. Peace, peace, peace. But what Jesus said here is not a greeting. No. I also have thought sometimes I used to think that way. It is not a greeting. Because normally you don't greet, repeat the greeting. Let's look at the passage. If you have your Bibles open with you. Let's look at the passage again. See, he said on the evening, Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Like any Jew would say. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and side when the disciples were glad. And then verse 21, he said, peace be with you. That means this is not a greeting. Like Shalom. This is not a greeting. This is something more than that. But what is it actually? Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, 27, he said, my peace is not as the world gives you. It's an altogether different peace. The peace that world gives is different peace. Jesus gives is different from worldly peace. It is not a mere greeting. So the, see, we say good morning. Even if it is raining and it is too hot, it is uh, too humid and uncomfortable. Still, we say good morning. Though it's not a very good morning for that person. Even otherwise, not only weather-wise. But it's a meaningless greeting. This is not such a meaningless greeting. He repeated it twice. And in between the two repetitions, he does something. And what, what did he do? He showed them his hands and his side. What is that? That means he is telling them this, he is showing them the evidence of the peace. He said, peace be with you. And he showed them, look, peace be with you. You have peace now. Why? Look at the hands that are pierced and the side that is pierced. Wounded side. From which, from where the water, the blood that turned water gushed forth. This is the evidence of peace. By dying on the cross, I have dealt with your fears. The greatest fear that every human being has is judgment. That one day we have to stand before God. That was the greatest fear. And the greatest fear, but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the promise of God. God has promised that as long as we remain hidden in Christ, because of what he has achieved by the death on the cross, evidence is his pierced hands and his side, he has achieved, he has taken care of that fear. And Colossians chapter 2.15 says that he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, or the spiritual authorities that are against us. So Christ provides peace and he says that you don't have to be worried about your death because, because he died for us. Whoever dies, believes in him, shall never die. They will have a physical death, but will live forever. So he has taken care of the greatest, the ultimate, the gravest fears of our life. That is 
judgment, eternal punishment, and the fear of death. Then, now put, locate your fears under this. If this is the ceiling, then put all the fears and anxieties below that. They will all be lesser than that. So that's the peace. The peace that he achieved, the reconciliation that he achieved through his nail-pierced, spare-broken side on the work of Calvary. He disarmed everything that is against us. And this peace of God, the word of God promises, when we clean up and we fill up with prayer and thanksgiving, this peace, this peace which nobody can take from us, nobody can rob from us, will be standing guard on our life. Will be the security guard just outside. But we have to lock it up, we have to clean it up, we have to fill it up, and we have to lock it up and give the key to the watchman outside. The peace of God is absolutely different. And the second thing, when you lock up and give to him, God promises escort. What's an escort? Is that a big word? I don't think so. Escort is a security person who goes with you, shadows you, shadows us, that he's always with us. You might have seen the security that is provided, set security that is provided to our VIPs. They are always like shadows. They are always around us. They will be in their own uniform. Sometimes they will be in their civil uniform. They merge with the crowd sometimes, you know, to see. So there will be more than number, number of people with different rings, different circles of security. And God says, this is the, the joyful life. Is, in Christian life is joyful because we have the escort of God. Verse 9. Hope, I hope you have read this passage. And I hope you have uh, noted some of the peculiarities of this passage. The first passage, first part said, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what does verse 9 say? The last part of it. It says, the last part of that verse, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice that two things? The peace of God will guard you. And the second thing is the inversion. The inversion is the God of peace will be with you. Wherever you go, every step, when you turn left or right, when you go forward or backward, when you sit down or stand up, the God of peace, not peace of God, remember that. It is the inversion of the two, word, uh, the two nouns. The God of peace will be your escort. Now, what is this God of peace? There are two places where this word comes. There are many places, but I have just, just checked two places. See, when we hear the word peace, what idea do you associate it with? Peace, quietness, calm, cool. Basically, this passive, isn't it? Some passivity inactivity, you know, some sort of, that is what we usually associate this word. But Bible is different, uses it differently. When it says God of peace, it's an altogether different. It is not passivity. It is the power of God. 
the god of peace is actually means or connotes the power of god let me give you two bible scripture passages it is god of peace is the power of god displayed in the resurrection of jesus christ a dead body of a person kept in a cave a tomb completely sealed in funeral clothes with thick paste of aloe vera and mire and other things rises back to life springs back to life opens the grave but that was grave was open from the to the stone was open from the outside or inside i am not worried about it but the seal was broken the, the stone was removed by whom the peace god of peace galatians chapter 13 verse 20 now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant so who is the god of peace god of peace is the god of power he displayed his power by bringing back our lord jesus christ to life peace of god is not simply passivity of scope it is not the drunken watchman or it is not the sleepy tired watchman who sleeps at night this god of peace who will has promised us to escort us to accompany us as we move around he is a is a god of power power to resurrect the lord jesus christ the second aspect of this god of peace or which who has the power is that he has defeated satan i want to read that passage also because in uh, romans chapter 16 verse 20 the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of the lord jesus be with you he says god of peace is a god of power who has that immense power to crush the devil satan where under your feet did you notice that not under his feet this is true it is under he will crush him. but he will crush i am looking at romans chapter 16 20 i some people looking for uh, taking notes so romans chapter he will crush there comes a day he says and you go to revelation for the rest of the story where god will imprison satan put him in chains and throw him finally into the eternal fire and we have a defeated enemy whose disarmed enemy colossians chapter 2 verses uh, 28 215 i read now he has disarmed the enemy the spiritual powers he has disarmed the satan and he is going to soon crush him under your feet that you will have his, you will be crushing him so now he says that is the god of peace there are two things now the peace of god unparalleled peace of god you cannot compare it with anything the peace of god which is not a mere greeting 
but it is the achieved, the complete work of Christ on the cross. That's the evidence. And he provides evidence. He assures them the peace of God. This is the evidence of the peace of God. You know, I have reconciled you with God, the Father. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can live in peace, go in peace. And he says, now, not only a God, but there's an escort. That God will escort you. The God of power, the God of peace, who displayed his power in the resurrection of his son, who displayed his power in defeating Satan under our peace. What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? He says there is no need for that because God is with you. One of the beauty of Christian life, of being a follower of Christ is to be aware of that Christ is nearby. If there is another reality that we are aware of besides ourselves, that should be the risen Christ. At moments, we have to repeatedly say this. Thank you, Lord. Being aware of, this is what great sayings of God did. They were always, Brother Andrew was aware of God's presence when he was washing dishes in the monastery. There's this man practicing the presence of God. He was not simply washing the dishes, mundane jobs in a, in, a, in, a, in a monastery, but he was always talking to God, experiencing his presence. My mom, my aunties, my uncles, I have seen one thing in them, observed them. They, two things I have seen. The first thing is that they were always talking to God. Even when they drop a, a, a glass, a tumbler or something like that, they always said in Malayalam Stotram, praise God and pick it up. They were thankful to God because they were aware of God's presence nearby. When they were praying, I sat with them as a child to pray with them. And they would always rebuke Satan. They would rebuke. You know why? It took me a long time, long years to understand what they were doing because they believed that Satan is crushed under their feet. So when destructive thoughts come, when negative thoughts invade their mind, they rebuked Satan and they bent on in the prayer. They always spoke to God, even when dropping a glass or uh, when something hit their thumb, the spontaneous response was to praise God. Spontaneous, it always becomes an instinct in Christian life to praise God and also to rebuke Satan. When thoughts, negative thoughts come, when distracting thoughts come, when thoughts distract us from the center, God's the center of God, that's how the God and the escort helps us. When we live such a life, joyful. Powerful, anxious, free, experiencing the power of God. Let me conclude with this. There is the impact of the supernatural in our life. The impact of the divine, godly in our life. First, the work of the supernatural in our life. When I say supernatural, I mean God in our life. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. 
See, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? The, the peace that nobody can understand. The peace which is not explainable. The understanding, it is the quality of peace is that it cannot be explained. There are many, many instances in the Bible. You know, I can think about, because of lack of time, I'm going into that. See, we can think of Exodus. So we start with Genesis. The work of God even made him be surprised. I would say at least satisfied. He said it is good. When he created the great lights and the universe, the stars and the rivers and the mountains and the gardens and the dry ground and water uh, places, he said it's good. Not only that, you move on from there and come to Exodus, the book of Exodus. What did they see there? No, they, the, 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 the Pharaoh and the onlookers, they were they had fear of them. Whom are they afraid of? The Pharaoh had chariots, soldiers, arrows, and bows, and all that they can. But these people had only some baggages, backpacks, and bed. maybe they had some sleepers to walk. Clothes, no change of clothes, but they just left at midnight with whatever they were sleeping in. But the Pharaoh, and when they marched, the people on either side of the route were, you read the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus, and the book of Deuteronomy. In all the five books, the four books after this thing, we see the marvel that. Because these people, frail, weak, minority, nomads, had become the place where the supernatural works. God works. In the life of Joseph, in the life of Moses, in the life of Jacob, in the life of Abraham, in the life of Isaac, in the life of the people who were left until they reached that place. And when they finally reached that destination, under the, the people who are so scared of them, people in Jericho, the people in Ai, the people in Bethel, and who are fought with them, who are denied the water and supplies on the way, because their life has become the arena in which God staged amazing things which cannot be explained. That is what, when we clean up our house and when we fill it with prayer and thanksgiving and when we hand it over our life to Christ, God, the God of peace, will guard and escort us. We become a miracle for others. Have you wondered, some of you who would experience the work of God in your life recently, when people just wondered, why did this happen? How did this man meet that uh, medical bills? How did this person find a job? How did this five person do this? Have you, have you ever thought um, of your life from the perspective of onlookers? Have you ever taken, looked at your life, putting yourself in the uh, shoes of others? Your family members who don't believe in Christ, your neighbors who have no regard for God. Have you ever looked at your own life from their vantage point? Many of us won't do that. Just take a moment up when you get home. You know, think about it. What do they think of your life when they see the work of God in your life? So that is what happens. 
no take a you know take us sometimes a short span or long span of life i can think of those moments when people said you are going to perish if you take that decision and now i can say that these people have changed their mind those who said those who cursed me half in my life early maybe 30 years ago 35 years ago 40 years ago now they have changed their mind because they have seen god working in my life what god has done in my life passeth all understanding for them you have a story like that you see you can be proud of your god and the second thing is the impact of the supernatural is the presence of god in our life in verse 5 philippians chapter 4 verse 5 bible says let your reasonableness be gentleness be known to everyone the lord is at hand the word at hand just one word in greek can mean two things one is the proximity in space when i say uh, jesus saw a boat at hand you know or jesus uh, baptized the uh, uh, did baptized in a place which is at hand over jesus uh, uh, what is his name john the baptizer did that simply means close by but it is very near by that means you can say aaron is at hand to hyne that is the greek concept that they are close to each other the second is the time when we say the lord is when we say that uh, i am coming my coming is at hand means i am coming soon okay or this will happen at hand that means it is going to happen immediately very soon there are two words but in the context of this verse the context of this verse this is not about the second coming of christ there is no reference to that this is this simply means the lord is nearby like we sit close to each other though we have a social distance between the two chairs now but god is close to us in space is next to us that is what i said earlier see do not worry about anything but the reason is the lord is at hand your gentleness be known to everyone this is the context of peace and anxiety what is your gentleness gentleness is the calm assured assured calm of a lion for example no the lion is not always roaring the lion is not jumping up and down the lion is cool because it has the confidence that is what we call gentleness gentleness means that calm assurance the sense of security that a person has that disposition he says okay there are fleas all over the body of the lion the lion doesn't care about the fleas the lion doesn't care when a when a herd of deer surround him no he doesn't care because he know his confidence he has his confidence and where does our confidence come from our gentleness come from the calm assurance come from the serenity that that we wear where does that come from the fact that christ is at hand he is right there when we seek him he is right there when we need him 
So that is the Ashwamedha. These are the two ways in which a joyful Christian life is impacted by the supernatural, by the God, because his works in our lives are awesome. And his presence in our life is equally awesome. He's at hand. With that confidence, we move. Now, that is the secret of joyfulness. The people in Philippi had a lot of avenues for enjoyment. Social outings, entertainment, cultural events. They drew food, clothes. They drew their joy from there. But people of Philippi who had come to Jesus, beginning with Lydia and the small group who met on the shores of the river, they have a different reason for joy. That's why they sang, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say again, rejoice. Praise be to God. God bless you. Let's pray. Amen. Just one sentence of prayer. If you take a serious moment for introspection and the prayer, and also some decision, resolve, when you get back home, cleaning up of anxieties, knowing that God has promised his presence and his power in our life, and also taking time to reflect on what he has done and thank him for it. Let's pray. Good Lord, we entrust our life unto you and we pray that, O oh Lord, you will grant us your mercy so that we will have the joy of salvation in our lives, the power of God manifest in our lives. Yes, Lord. Trusting in your promises, we obey your command to clean up our life of all fears and anxieties. And fill it up with prayers and thanksgiving. And hand over the control to you whose peace, unparalleled peace will God. And God of peace, the power of God will be escorting us. We thank you for that. And we bless you. Make our lives a wonder against all the negativities that people say about us. Make us a wonder for them. Though they, they are doubtful, apprehensive of our own life, where our life will, trusting you will lead. We pray, O oh Lord, the course of our life and end of our life will be one of thanksgiving, wonder for the onlookers. And they may turn to you, O oh Lord, to seek the same joy that we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.